This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers and because it is that time of the week, this is the Weekends with Walshy episode for this week. G'day, Leon. G'day, mate. How are you? Uh, rearing to go, rearing to go. I, 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 I've seen you emotional. I've seen you <laughs> upset. I've, I've never seen you this fired up before. So let's, uh, let's not muck around. Let's introduce Walshy himself from the NT Independent online newspaper. G'day, Chris. Hey, Peter. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, busy. <laughs> you look busy. <laughs> yeah. There's been a bit on. Oh, yeah, boy, if, if, you, if you dyed your hair white, mate, you'd remind me of the uh, professor in uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about this time of night that all the product keeps the hair and the hair, the hair presses up. Um, yeah, phone has just never stopped. You know, when Parliament's on, uh, just constantly on the phone talking to people about what's going on, what's going on behind the scenes, kind of of what we see playing out in the chamber every day and yeah. so much other stuff behind the scenes as uh, this week's kind of shown us what happens behind the scenes. Mm. Well, let's talk about that, mate. There's two stories that have really uh, been clangers this week. Uh, the first of them was, well, started on Saturday, last, you know, Saturday uh, last week. and. Uh, that was the Speaker of the House, Kezia Purick. What, what on earth happened there, Chris? Well, yeah, look, there, there's always been kind of um, questions around expenses, right? I mean, in Parliament in general, when you, when you have access to the taxpayer purse, um, everybody should be keeping an eye on spending. And in this case... Uh, it was something that we had heard a lot about for a long time, and that is, of course, uh, Speaker Kezia Purick's uh, alcohol bill and exactly how much she was charging taxpayers for um, uh, for all the alcohol that she was consuming in the office. And so I, I filed an FOI back a while ago into that Freedom of Information uh, request uh, seeking the invoices for all of the alcohol for this term of government. So from August 22nd, 2016 to, you know, sometime in February when I put the request in. And I honestly didn't think that they were even going to release it because I've asked for stuff before from them and I've gone through the the proper channels and filed the proper paperwork and the Freedom of Information Act and relied on that. And they've just, out of any agency, well, some of the agencies are worse than others, but the Legislative Assembly in particular, I had to take to, we were just about to go, well, we did actually go to NTCAT, um, so Civil and Administrative Tribunal, because they they just refused to, to, to give up public information that was available for the public. So I didn't expect much from them on this one. Um, and then a month ago or so, I, I, I received it back, uh, a bundle of documents, which they claimed were the hospitality invoices and, uh, uh, you know, the booze bill as it were, for all the liquor runs that were going on in the office. And so I went through it, and I couldn't verify that it was all of them. Like, a lot of the, the invoices didn't match up in terms of what the request was for compared to what the actual invoice would show or the receipt from, say, BWS. So, you know, I had to do the story with that kind of caveat up, up high in the story is that we're not sure that this is everything. 
And in fact, it, it most likely isn't. And there's discrepancies in amongst the different paperwork. But however, be that as it may, here's what we know. And that informed that story um, about, uh, uh, I think it was, what was the restock Madam Speaker's Suite? And that was kind of the, the internal lingo for do a liquor store run, go down to BWS, um, and, and refresh Madam Speaker's suite. So the invoices show that they did that quite frequently and to the tune of, um, of, uh, a lot of money. Um, and I, and I couldn't actually ascertain exactly what the total, because I asked for the total just in, in, in the actual alcohol. It was bought for the office over those three three plus years, and they just didn't return that. They just gave me a bunch of loose paperwork that didn't add up. So I had to, it took me a while to go through all of that stuff. Um, uh, what we found, though, were kind of shocking liquor store runs. I mean, they, they did one $1,200 bottle shop run uh, a few days before Christmas, just last year in 2019. There's no, there's absolutely no official functions going on <laughs> at Parliament House a few days before Christmas. <laughs> so, you know, those kind of things started to be, you have to kind of ask questions of, of what taxpayers, what benefit taxpayers are getting out of something like that and whether or not they're just, you know, buying their own Christmas drinks um, for the staff there. So, you know, there were issues like that. There, just how, how it all varied. So her favorite uh, Kizia Pierrick, the speaker, her favorite drink is uh, Sauve Blanc called uh, Boatshed Bay. Oh, nice little pay? drop. <laughs> yeah, nice little drop the Boatshed Bay. <laughs> how much How much do you pay for it? Well, I don't pay for it, but uh, uh, yeah. tell me, what, what's, the, what's the bottle price? Well, it's about like 10 bucks, I think. It's, it's not oh. expensive, but... Yeah. For some reason, here in the invoices, they paid anywhere between ten dollars and twenty dollars for it. Okay, and just no concern given. And even that we we had a one invoice, one request for hospitality, where uh, her executive assistant, a woman named Martine Smith, said, uh, "Look, I'm going to try and get the the price down because if I can get them in packs of six, um, we can get it from twenty dollars to fifteen dollars a bottle, right?" Mm. But then we find that the actual receipt from BWS shows that they that she ordered twenty seven bottles and uh, <laughs> like just to be random yeah. and and paid the full twenty dollars for it. So uh, it was just wow. things like this. Where the bigger problem in here too was this: is that we found that there was no proper oversight of how this bill of how these bills were being determined or how this money was being approved. Mm. So uh, Martin Smith would typically fill out the request form. It would then be approved by deputy clerk, Marianne Conaty. And that's a little odd because Kizia Purek is of course kind of the acting minister and also the public employment commissioner. There's a conflict there too. Um, but for the legislative assembly. So all of these people were her subordinates who, who, requested and then approved um all of this spending and, and this is like tens of thousands of dollars just it's just crazy i mean one case you had something like i think the end of october 2018 they bought 48 bottles of boatshed bay and then just one month later on november 19th they bought another 72 bottles right and it would say on there what's the benefit for for, for taxpayers and they would just write you know stocking up Madam Speaker's suite. 
and it's not really <laughs> and then there was another one where it just said um what was it bottle the gin 110 dollars and that wow. was and that was good enough to be signed off on and so we're talking tens and tens of thousands of dollars um just in these frivolous seemingly frivolous uh liquor store runs when when somebody wanted to try a product like i think that the gin we found in another invoice was the green ant gin right oh yes. made, so, yeah, yeah. yeah so it looks like you know somebody in her office yeah wanted to try it yeah. and thought yeah let's just let's just get taxpayers to pay for it so it, it just baffles it just and, and even the bottle shop runs some of them range between 66 dollars right so somebody's just going and getting a bottle or a couple yeah. bottles <laughs> and then up to like you know the 1200 dollars run and there's no rhyme or reason to any of it and it's being internally approved and there's absolutely no oversight over this nobody's checking it out so um that's an issue we went to kizzy Pierk for comment she declined our requests um to explain and of course too you're, you've got another issue there with the bws right is that she's going to woolies to buy the alcohol and of course we could see on the the invoices that we got seats that somebody was using their woolies points card <laughs> to, to get all the points on these on wow. these like tens of thousands of dollars so we asked like who who's using these points I can tell you, I went through all the invoices and all the ones I could find. I didn't see where the points were used to get a reduction in the price. Like, you know, you yeah, get whatever, yeah. whatever you get a thousand $10 points, you get 10 bucks off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Wasn't, wasn't being done for any wow. of that for the public spending. So now there's a bit of a, of a defense here and a bit of an explanation, I guess, in terms of the office of the, or the function of the office of the speaker. Mm. And that being that uh, the speaker is the official, you know, representative of parliament and and specifically here of the NT parliament. So they have to perform the ceremonial functions as well as the administrative tasks. So, and they're also the representative, meaning that if, if dignitaries do come to town, if there are any events like that, that this, it falls on the speaker to be the representative to host a dinner, let's say, for a visiting dignitary. Um and then this happened, and this has happened forever since the beginning of the Westminster system, right? But on on, on this case, we see that there was it was about ninety two thousand um, dollars for hospitality events. So those oh. are uh, so that would be between early twenty seventeen and end of twenty nineteen, end of twenty twenty. Um, so three years, ninety two thousand. Yeah. yeah, about about thirty thousand a year. Uh, yeah, and again. Leon, like I said, I can't, I can't verify that that's everything because some of them did not add up some of the requests and then some of what they actually paid for. Uh, and in some cases they paid for things where there didn't appear to be any request forms done and they have to do a request for each function or dinner or high tea. Um, so we went through all of that stuff and, uh, yeah, some of it, you just, you have to ask why, um, and why taxpayers are paying for this. So there's a group called the Commonwealth Women Parliamentarians Committee. And uh, they were up here, a national group that promotes women in politics. Sounds like a worthy cause, but uh, our taxpayers, should taxpayers be paying a thousand bucks for them to eat at Wharf One? <laughs> um, I don't know. And then you know what happened after that? That was at that over a thousand bucks. And then the next morning they got up and they had a catered luncheon uh, for another 820 bucks. It was at hey. Parliament House. So... Where's the Commonwealth? Also, where's the Commonwealth Men's Club's lunch and dinner? <laughs> <laughs> you would ask the clerk that. <laughs> um, 
you know, there was, there was other things like, uh, and this is what, what I think was kind of the rumors and the stuff going around about like, Oh, she really kind of indulges in things from time to time. And we found that there were a few occasions where it was just called a, a private speaker's dinner party, right. For 2,300 bucks for seven people. Mm. Um, that's not cheap. And uh, who attended? Don't know. Never had to say apparently. <laughs> Um, I think that they probably should have. Then there was other things, right? Like, so they were holding Christmas parties for their select friends and, um, and, uh, you know, high society types, uh, 8,600 bucks was one bill. But then there was another one that it was like way over that. It was like 17,000, but then there was no actual to that. So like I said, again, going through these numbers was not an easy task because it did not let up. Um, you also had other events like the, the Somerville, uh, group community services they put on some sort of event there uh which according to the numbers here 180 people attended in 2016 it cost 8700 bucks and then the next year in 2017 only 150 people attended yet it cost four thousand dollars more twelve thousand three hundred <laughs> less wow. people more better so drinks it was all of these things oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and then, you know, just different events uh, that she just kind of handpicked. There didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason of what community groups kind of got to have an event with her. It was just all over the place. And and like I said, no oversight there of anything. And she didn't really have to explain to anybody because she would just go to her own staffer and say, I want this. Staffer would fill it out, give it to another staffer who approved it. <laughs> and, and that was it. So the story, uh, I think we ran a, a Sunday morning. Um, was one of the best read stories that we've had. Um, people were certainly interested in knowing um, exactly how their taxpayer money was being spent. Um, mm. And and that was really the story. The story is just, here you go. It's all fact. This is just it. There's there's not a lot of talking in the story in terms of quotes because uh, Kizia Pjörk didn't want to comment on it. And we just were stuck with the evidence that we had here, the facts as provided, and that we could see as, as invoices. So that was the story. You can read it and find out exactly how your taxpayers are working or how your tax dollars are working. Mm-hmm. So, so what's the, is, does the Auditor General have a role in all of this? The Auditor General could go in and audit that. Yeah, I'm not aware that she's done that in this. Like, I don't know where they put that in the budget for the Legislative Assembly. And that, that's a good question, Leon, because that's a question we had. So if the speaker performs these functions, as we were saying, these ceremonial functions and puts on things, is there a budget for that? Mm-hmm. One would assume that there is, uh, judging by this, I mean, they didn't care about any budget, right? There's no cost-saving measures taken anywhere in this. So they, they didn't care about a budget, but you've got to think that there has to be some sort of pot of money set aside for this. Uh, it's never been disclosed. I mean, we well, just don't know. Yeah, I mean, budget uh, is one thing, and you know, policies regarding what is appropriate. Yeah. Uh, it just—I'm dis- surprised and disappointed. I—I th- I certainly thought, uh, you know, the office of the speaker was uh, run a little bit better than that. And and what's the government saying about all of this? Again, <laughs> they're not making any comment, and and that's really you know talking to some people up in parliament about that. And uh, people saying, who know MLAs who are saying, uh, look, they said that there's no drinks on the fifth floor anymore. They're running them out of the speaker's office. Like, you know, they're, they're down there. There was, and I forgot to mention that there were a lot of receptions she held for just for politicians and their guests. 
Um, and one was for opening day receptions, right? So you think, oh, Parliament's opening for the first time. No, this is like sometime in February. They called it an opening day parliamentary session. Here's I, 2,600 bucks. Day, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and here's 2,600 just for politicians and their family and their friends to come in and have a, a piss up for uh, a certain so amount of them. Is there a role for ICAC in any of this? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely. About, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That is something that should, should, should be referred there. Um, because, yeah, just a lack of oversight in itself. But, of course, you saw what happened. The ICAC was looking in. Not on this specifically, it doesn't appear, but the ICAC was certain. Well, yeah, we're going to get his phone number. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's talk about that. What uh, exactly happened there? <laughs> well, yeah, where do we start on this one, Leon? I mean, this mm -hmm. is one of those things. This, this reminded me of the... Healthy and CLP days. No, <laughs> um, another crocs in the cabinet coming out. You reckon? Volume uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I was, I guess maybe we'll start going back to uh, November 2018, and I had seen some text messages from uh, somebody giving me um, from Kezia Purick's executive assistant, Martine Smith, and she contacted a guy named Bruce Young out of Queensland, which doesn't seem like anything. She contacted some old, as she called them, old mate, uh, old LMP mate um, out of Queensland. And what she had did was she said, you know, you're, you're the registered owner of the business name North Australia Party. She said, we hear that there are people here who are trying to take that name. You know, you should complain about it. You should try and stop it. And this person said, oh, okay. Yeah, thanks for letting me know. I certainly will. And then she wrote back and said, oh, excellent, excellent. Just keep my name out of it about how you, how you come to, to find out about this. Um, what she didn't realize was that, and of course, the North Australia Party, around that time, November 2018, is when Terry Mills threw out the idea um, that he may start a party called the North Australia Party. And Terry had been in touch with this guy, Bruce Young. And Bruce knew that he was doing it. So when he got a, a text from a woman who identified herself as being from the speaker's office, he assumed it was all very legit and that somebody else was maybe trying to take the name from Terry and he didn't want that. So he said, of course, I'll object. Little realizing that it was actually somebody trying to hijack uh, Terry getting that name and starting that party. And of course, it came from the speaker. So... Uh, I was at ABC at the time. Uh, we ran the story. I think Matt Cunningham ran it around the same time. I think we both had it the same day. Um, he was with Sky News, of course, so made national news too um, well, on ABC. So uh, what happens is Kezia goes into hiding for a little while, and she won't respond to questions. She won't say anything about this. But, of course, the story is here we have the this, this speaker, the Northern Territory Speaker's office, interfering in the establishment of a new political party here. Um, the speaker has duties to be impartial um, and not get caught up in partisan politics. Now, what she did was completely flies in the face of that, her office anyway, right? So at this point, we don't know what Kezia's involvement is. We just know that the text messages came from Martine Smith. She identified herself as an officer of the speaker's office. So... Um, it goes on for a couple of days where nothing's happening, but the stories keep coming out. You know, people keep commenting, saying she's got to come out and explain. Uh, she ultimately, I think, 
first goes on uh, Mix 104.9, Katie Wolf's show, and says, um, well, she sends, I think she sent Katie a text because Katie was asking about it and said, the first text was, my office is not involved with this. It's all lies. Rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. She likes to say everything's rubbish. Um, and so that was the report the first day. Her statement is, uh, or second or third day, is my office was not involved at all. And then a couple of days later, she realizes that everyone knows that she is. We've seen the text. We've attached to the number. We know it's her principal officer who's involved. So uh, she then tries a different tact. And she says, okay, it was her. It was my executive assistant. She acted without my knowledge. Um, nobody really buys that because... <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, for, yeah, <laughs> for obvious reasons, right? Um, and then, yeah, and it was just this idea that, that you know, we knew about the bad blood between uh, Kezia Purick, Terry Mills, and Robin Lamley. Um, and I think Robin was on board with that North Australia party, too, at the time. And, of course, this goes back to 2012 when Terry Mills was elected as leader of the CLP and as chief minister, and Kezia was supposed to be his deputy. Um, deputy chief minister, and instead he overlooked her at the last minute and brought in Robin Lamb of all people to be his deputy chief minister. And this is like, this is clearly like, you know, some horrific incident in, in Kezia Purick's life that she was overlooked for this. So she even up until like just in February of this year was still going on about how hard done by she was by this. Uh, Terry overlooking her for deputy leader. And this, this is just the, the greatest insult ever that anybody could ever face. And she's holding on to it eight years later, right? It, it goes to show some, some motive there, maybe why she wanted to interfere in the party. Now, the irony of all ironies in it all is that uh, uh, instead of being deputy uh, chief minister, uh, Terry made a concession and, gave, and said, you know, you can be speaker. <laughs> so Terry actually... Terry Mills appointed her speaker of yeah. the Legislative Assembly. And here she is, uh, six years later, using the resources of the office of the speaker to interfere in his political ambitions and in setting up a third party. So anyway, so back to, um, to November 2018, Kezia then starts telling the story that the principal officer has acted on her own. Uh, one woman wolfpack. Uh, <laughs> and then... She has to go to Parliament, and the Chief Minister says, you know, she's going to have to explain. Michael Gunner says she's going to have to explain herself. Um, and why it was done, because that was the question. It's like, okay, but say it was your your own, your assistant. Like, why would she do this? What's the motive? And I remember um, they asked her that on radio, and she said, oh, I can't say what enters people's minds and why they do the things they do. I just have no and it's like, well, maybe you should ask, right? It's your assistant, you said she did it. Maybe you should ask her why she did it. Um, so anyway, by the time she gets to Parliament, and I think this is a week or 10 days after the story breaks, um, uh, she now is sticking with the story that, it, that, that Martine Smith acted on her own um, and that she apologized. She's apologized now to the Speaker. She realizes she did a bad thing and she's been reprimanded. So... The question was, well, what, what, what does that mean exactly? And Kiesa said something like, well, anyone in the public service knows what reprimand means. And I'll just leave it at that, and there's no more comment. But there was never an explanation. There was never even a real apology for anything. I suppose there was a half-assed apology on that one, but no explanation given. And and it just seemed like it, it blew over. It just that, that passed. I mean, 
I was writing stories. I mean, I had, you know, constitutional experts nationally commenting on this thing when I was at the ABC. This <laughs> is pretty serious. Mm. That the, that your parliament is that screwed up, that the head of that parliament is, is interfering in political stuff that she has no business interfering in. And against all traditions and against all rules and regulations and come to find out laws. Um, so it kind of goes away, blows away as, as it blows over. As a lot of things sometimes seemingly do here. I guess they do happen. And then sometimes yeah. it always, something always kind of creeps back up. Mm. So here we are. Monday morning, uh, Michael Gunner calls a press conference uh, that I'm not invited to. Um, God damn so, it. Even I got invited to that Walshy. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, I think they just brought everybody in and they were handing out. As soon as everybody walked in the door, they got handed one of these. Oh, yeah, here's your uh, investigation into the conduct of the Speaker of the Legislative Assembly. Um, investigation report by the ICAC. So it turns out that, and I didn't get mine there. I had to get mine through other means because, you know, and, and that became an issue too, is that they didn't even give it to parliamentarians. They just gave it to their favorite journalists when they invited them to this closed media thing. They said, oh yeah, here you go, knock yourself out before it was tabled in parliament. So what if I, so yeah, come to find out that the issue that Kezia Perk had, had hoped had blown over hadn't. And, uh, as these kind of tricky things that politicians think that they can, you know, that they secretly embark on and hope they can get away with, come back. They always have a way of coming back. So it comes back on her. Um, and what the ICAC finds is, well, look, Michael Gunner says that day, he says, I'm calling on her to resign immediately. If she doesn't resign, you know, she'll be replaced um, because the ICAC has found uh, the corrupt conduct has occurred. And that she failed to uphold the law and that she acted anti-democratically in her conduct. So, um, yeah, so that, it, it was a bit of a shock. On the other hand, it kind of wasn't. I mean, we knew that things weren't exactly as she said it was. And mm. there were whispers going around Parliament House that something was coming down the, the, the pipe on this. And... You know, we'll get into that. Into So, you know, the, the, the breach of public trust. Um, this is what the ICAC found, right? That uh, uh, to act dishonestly, found that, that she lied to investigators and himself on three different occasions when, when called in and questioned about it. And it was all the investigation into, uh, into how her office interfered in the establishment of the North Australia part. Um, she was confronted with information. Like, I, I think that she knew, well, I mean, she knew what she had done, but even when she's asked about it, she kind of doesn't, doesn't flinch. And she says, no, you know, that's not true. I didn't do that. And then they show her, there's transcripts in here, right. Of the, of the interviews. And then they show her a message she sent where she said, where she's telling Martine Smith, like, Oh, here's what I found about this party. We need to get somebody as devious as us to go and register their name in the NT so we can beat them to it. Like <laughs> it's, it's like real. And then there's other text messages she's sending where she says, um, you know, uh, the media can get stuffed. And this is around the time that the story broke and Martine Smith should have been sacked. If it was all her, we always question why didn't the speaker 
sack her executive assistant if she, you know, acted as inappropriately as she claimed. Well, she, then we see behind the scenes, is telling people, I'm not getting rid of Martine. The media can get stuffed. Um, just a whole, uh, a whole other side to what was being presented at the time. And for me as a journalist, that's really interesting because I was in the middle of covering it and knowing what was happening on the surface. But to then find that these messages were going on, this, this mm-hmm. really dis- disrespect, not, not just to journalists, but to the public. Like, yeah. she, she just outright lied to people <laughs> throughout this whole thing. It's like, you know, somebody that you know, I know that she's well-liked out there in her electorate of Goiter. Uh, it's a rural area, um, and she always portrays as this, you know, good down-to-earth rural woman um, who, you know, really knockabout, you know, type who, who everybody loves down there. She, she says, speaks her mind, um, isn't, isn't worried about offending people, you know, and they love her for this, this, this creation that she's that she's concocted of herself that when you look at it, when you, when you put in the context of, well, really is that the person or is that the person who's having these big parties at taxpayers expense is buying, you know, the $68 bottles of champagne, the $110 bottles of gin all on the taxpayer dime and, and kind of whooping it up down there in the, in parliament house. Um, you know, there, there are contradictions there, but to then throw in the fact that she just lied to people, mm-hmm. just lied to the public, and she's been caught out doing that. Um, it's, I, yeah, I just don't get the the idea. And I, and I think that it's small. Like I, it it kind of seems, seems Donald Trump-esque in a way, that, <laughs> yeah. right? That, like, that some people still say, Oh, she gets my vote. You know, they sent some reporters out there to Goiter just to kind of the, the box pop man in the street question. And a lot of people were like, oh, no, this is all a conspiracy against Kezia. Um, we're going to vote for it, right? And it's, I, I don't think that, I don't think that, that Australians are that, are like that. I don't think they're like Americans where they're going to tolerate corruption going on. And I think at the poll next time, it's going to be really interesting because, you know, people can say what they want out there, but I, I honestly don't believe that anybody can vote in somebody again who's been found to have been corrupt, acted corruptly, and then and then lied about it and lied about it to the public, to her own voters, to her own electorate. Um, yeah. So the so you know the follow-up from it all <laughs> was just uh, remarkable too. So everybody's devouring the ICAC report and trying to figure out, okay, how did this all go down? And then the revelations start coming out about mentioning the the texts and the encrypted app me- messages and we find that uh, you know that on the day uh the day after the story broke that sky news and uh, and i broke um kezia met with martin smith at her house at kezia's house and they started drinking um on a tuesday morning and they started talking about the media coverage and how they could ha- try to hash out a plan and how they were going to do this by 3.30 p.m. apparently, according to the report backed up by Statdex with the statements, uh, Martin Smith was too intoxicated uh, to drive. <laughs> to come so, up with any plan. <laughs> yeah, so a friend, they call a friend, and this is somebody that hasn't been identified in the report listed only as CD, initial CD. Um, this person, identified as a she, 
comes and picks her up and then they start she starts talking about media statements and PR management and how here's some lines, you know, you say this, it'll all blow over, right? So she does, but I, I was yeah, it's just funny. I was trying to match up if if that day that they did their day drinking media PR session wouldn't correspond with one of the invoices that I had yeah. from doing a liquor store run, right? Yeah. It, not that I could see, but I wouldn't rule it out either. Yeah. That it wasn't in the documents I had. Um, but to see all this stuff, all this behind the scenes stuff of how they did their crisis management and how just the, the conniving behind the scenes mm. and coming up with lies and saying media can get stuff. Let's find more devious people. Um, yeah, look, anti politics, man. <laughs> it wasn't so much management, was it? Hey, um, Chris, something you said in there that sort of piqued my interest. Yeah. Um, the, the, the way the press conference was held, uh, you know, with the ICAC report and the government coming out and saying what they did, are they trying to score some points here? Who? The, the government? Minister? Yeah. Yeah. Well, trying to front foot it. They definitely, because it was supposed to be, ta- like how it would normally happen, would be tabled when Parliament resumed and Parliament resumed on Tuesday. So it would have come out there. So Gunner certainly tried to get out and front foot it and, um, mm trying to do and that's why he called on that so that he was hoping to get it all done before parliament started kind of yeah quick and silent um Mm. just get it over with uh but then when you start going through this report i don't think it's it's quite salacious (laughs) in some parts and people are going to read it and people were going to um to have more questions you know the other part that i forgot to say about that too one of the other texts that we found in there uh, i think it was after the drinking session and maybe before Oh, I think it was just before the story came out. She had texted a, an MLA, identified only as AB in this report, but said it's another member of the Legislative Assembly of the Anti-Parliament. And, and uh, Kezia texted this person and said, um, you know, the media is on to me. If you get asked about it, deny, deny, deny. Oh, my Lord. Wow. <laughs> Which was just close <sighs> to hell. Are these people people never heard of burner mobile phones? (laughs) Somebody said that, Pete. That's funny you you mentioned that. Oh, God. It's like somebody said, how stupid is she to put it all in writing and everything, right? But, but, you know, the question, the issue that was raised too by the ICAC in the report was over the use of WhatsApp and other encrypted messenger services and whether or not um, that presents, he says it presented a security risk. I think it also presents an opportunity for them to kind of send secret messages that yeah. they think maybe can't be retrieved. But according to the report, some of these, he didn't say which um, messenger apps, but some were from messenger apps that he was able to yeah. uh, obtain. Um, yeah. So yeah, you think would, <laughs> would people learn there's, there's a whole other aspect to this I, that, mm. <laughs> that I, I find truly unbelievable. And we, I kind of touched on it a little bit, in the first story that day, but uh, so in 2018, when this happened, when the story broke that she was trying to interfere in the party, <laughs> um, it was it was it was unbelievable that the, that the office would do this and that she would act in such a way that um, to interfere, just 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 interfering. There was no reason to do that. There's no reason to use the resources of the office to do it, but she did it. We find out that she's done it. 
what happens in January of this year is remarkable. So, and this goes to some, some of the, the issues, right? So the report found that she engaged in corrupt conduct. They didn't necessarily say that there was a, a particular charge for this, but that it's been referred to the director of public prosecutions to find, to determine whether or not criminal charges should be laid. And that's going to be interesting because, yeah, the, the, there might be some politics at play there. I don't know, but DPP will probably be looking for a pretty big uh, get at some point here. So I wouldn't be surprised if we do see those charges. Um, and, you know, the ICAC's done all the groundwork, really. But here's what, what becomes remarkable. And this is something that she could be charged with here, which is that um, on January 17th of 2020, she found out from Martine Smith that Martine had been contacted by the ICAC, the anti-corruption body, and told not to tell anybody. And they, they, I can't remember what it was called now, a non-disclosure directive. Not, um, so just telling her, we want to interview you, where you're going to be part of this investigation. And when that comes, uh, she was told, you, you, you can't tell anyone. You know, you can hire counsel and tell your lawyer about it. The minute she gets that, she goes to Kezia, the report shows, and says, they're on to us, you know, they know about the mill stuff and how we interfered in the party. <laughs> what happens next is, is, like, this is, then it becomes a Coen Brothers movie. Or something, right? <laughs> I mean, you've got these two bumbling people who are freaking out and think everything is, you know, and they're paranoid. Better hit the bottle again, you know. Um, <laughs> So, so what transpires next, though, they hatch out another plan. And this, this part isn't in the report, but we can, you can see from the actions that transpired after that. And I was away. I was actually out of the country in February. And I was, and I was watching Parliament, though. And I thought, sweet Jesus, why, why is Labour doing this? Like, why, why, and why are they getting Kezia to do this? So in, in mid-February, Parliament resumes. Kezia gets up one of the first days, and she makes this, like, you know, private members move to to bring in a committee, a parliamentary committee that would have oversight powers of the ICAC. Mm. And oh this is about gosh. February. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not joking. Oh and I, man. and I'm watching this. And at first, I was like, "What's Labor doing? Why are they getting Kezia to do this?" Um, then I realized, "Oh shit, she's not. She's doing <laughs> this on her own." And I yeah. thought, and so I'm listening to her talk some more. Now, there is a, a, a point here that when the ICAC was set up, that is a provision of the act, that there should be a parliamentary scrutiny committee to oversee certain aspects, you know, that the, the parliamentary committee can look at things that the ICAC are doing. They can't interfere in any way with any of the investigations. They can't even know about the, you know, uh, what exactly they're doing in terms of investigations and who they're investigating, but things about money, um, you know, uh, departmental budgets for ICAC, that kind of thing. Um, so that, that is in the law. That probably should have been brought in earlier. But Kezia clearly has a meeting after January 17th when she finds out that her, uh, Martine Smith, her executive assistant, is under investigation. They come up with a new plan. And the new plan is to get Kezia to start a parliamentary committee put herself on it and um, exert some power, influence, and control over the ICAC. So 
she tries to do things that aren't in the act that don't allow for the parliamentary committee to do it. One is to, to like have greater say over the budget to, to basically decide what the funding should be for the ICAC and also what the staffing issues should be and the list of the, the people who work there. And the catering. And <laughs> yeah. Well, she, she would have experience there in suggesting a place. Karen Sheldon, by the way, did all the catering in Parliament House. But um, I, I, I just, I find that truly remarkable because, okay, fair enough if you're going to set up that committee, but she tried to get on the committee. In fact, she was, she was actually put on that committee. It hasn't met. Wow. But she knew she was under investigation and she wanted to try to get on this committee and to, to, I guess, thwart their efforts to investigate her. She was actually asked about that. When I'm watching that, I, I realized like she's under investigation. That's when it first hit me. Mm. She was under investigation. And the next week in parliamentary sittings, uh, Robin Lamley got up and she said, we listened to you last week. You know, Madam Speaker, get up and talk about this. I think you're under investigation. And if you've got a conflict of interest, you need to disclose it right now. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, rubbish. I'm not under investigation. And you can't talk about it if you are, you know, she says. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, but for the record, and I want all media to know, I'm not under investigation. So the next day she goes on Katie Wolf's show on the Friday morning and she, and she gets asked by Katie about that. She says, what happened there? Robin accused you of being under investigation. And Kezia says, no, no. The first thing you need to know is when you're under investigation, they send you a letter. That letter says you can only you can't talk about it. You can only talk to the lawyer. You can only talk to your partner. She goes through like the whole list of somebody who's under investigation. <laughs> <laughs> Even yeah. then I was like, oh my God, she's clearly under which, investigation. Which she only knows because someone who is under investigation yeah. told her and we're told not to tell her. Yeah, and that she oh. at that point was covering up, and this is actually like what could be a very serious charge against her, is that she knew that there was a breach of the act when she was told that by her and she didn't report it. Right. And she's a responsible official that she had that, that responsibility to that obligation to go and report it when she knew that that was a crime mm. that was happened. They had all been briefed on the act. She had read about the act deep enough to know that there was a parliamentary committee that could be set up. So she knew what the <laughs> violations were. Right? <laughs> yeah, so true. yeah, it's, it, it was, rem uh, that is the most little bit of like just, Trumpian, uh, just nonsense that I that I just just irritates me that mm. she tried to get on. She tried to oh, and let's not forget that before that she was on there saying that the ICAC commissioner should be sacked. That uh, yeah. like she was this is Trump stuff. Like the person investigating me, I'm going to yeah, get yeah. rid of. But I don't think in exactly. the end Trump actually did that either. Like Trump didn't even go that far as to try to do what Kizia <laughs> Pure did. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I mean, wow. you guys are laughing. I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> utterly disgusted. No, utterly I disgusted. Too. I mean, uh, look, I don't know a lot about the legislation that you're talking about, but I hope that whoever is in charge of uh, administering that legislation needs to make an example here because this is just unbelievable. You know, it is it is either corruption or an attempt at corruption. Um, uh, you know, to to try to set up a committee to to uh, oversee the body that is investigating you, and then to just, I mean, when she said that she wasn't um, uh, under investigation, was she under investigation? 
Yeah, she was, and she knew that she was because her assistant told her she was. Saying, so the ICACs contact me in relation to the territory or the, the North Australia party. So she knew that they were investigating that issue, and she knew that she directed Martine to do it. So she misled Parliament then. She did, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then she went on radio the next day and lied to the public about uh, look, it. Her career should honestly be over, you know. Uh, now, I can imagine that in the seat of Goida, there'll be plenty of people that will vote for her no matter what, uh, because we do have, you know, some, some Trumpian issues of, uh, you know, of our own in this country, I, I am sad to say. But, you know, her political career, based on everything that you've just said and what has been published should be over you know there's just no place for people like this in politics and we need to as an as a, a community we need to stand up and, and and you've done a marvelous job chris let me just say just listening to what you've done and the way you've pieced together the, the, the story and connected the dots i mean you're just a remarkable journalist mate and i've got to tell you my hat's off to you and now that you've done your work we as constituents need to do our work and we need to demand that the government uh, administer the law to the full extent that it can be. We just simply can't have people like this in Parliament representing us carrying on like this. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, have to run up $1,200, you know, bar tabs, um, but it's a completely another level to go down this path to try and, you know, as a speaker who's supposed to be impartial, try and stop another political party from forming because you've held a grudge because you, you weren't made, uh, you know, deputy uh, chief minister years of, years back. And then to, um, you know, throw your own staff under the bus. I mean, it's just beggar's belief, the amount of nonsense that's gone on here. So I, I'm just shocked. I mean, you know, I teach my children not to lie. And I tell you, it's a constant battle, you know. I mean, uh, you know, uh, they get it. They get it. But as a parent, you know, you teach your children here. This is the consequences of lying. And we work hard, you know, to try and raise kids, you know, as good members of society. And then we watch this kind of crap going on in Parliament it just makes my blood boil. It really does. So mm. I hope that whatever happens, happens, and the good people of the Northern Territory uh, do the job that they have, they're getting paid to do. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, Leon, that's the thing, right? So we heard she sends out her trolls on Facebook, and she's got a lot of supporters, and we'll give her that. And so it may cloud the idea of people who are reading those comments and that, that, that it is somehow acceptable, right? I mean, it's, it is the Trump defense about how this is all fake news, this is made up, this is a conspiracy against us. Um, it isn't, and I'll tell you that I think, I know that there's, there's issues, like you said, about Trumpian stuff here in Australia. I, I, I can't believe that that would be the case here in the territory. I think deep down, territorians are sensible enough to know that this woman lied to them and that they they that they won't accept that that there's, that there's no excuse for that there's no excuse for the corrupt conduct there's no excuse to not be representing them when she's tied up you know chasing these uh, these revenge or you know plotting this revenge um to get back for 
political misgivings from years ago. But I think Territorians see through that. And I honestly, I would have faith that, um, that they will hold these people accountable. And ultimately, it's them. I mean, it'll be interesting. It'll go to DPP and whether the charges are laid is something else. Um, she's indicated that she wants to run again. And she's doing really, really just on the nose. I, I don't even know how to describe it, but she's talking a lot about uh, now pushing through a private member's bill to expand gun laws that she thinks is going to play well to her base. Like it, it is almost like she's reading American stuff about what Trump would do and, and enacting it here. But the difference in what she's missing in all of this is the territorians will see through that territorians are they have more of a moral conscience than some people in the in in the united states and they're not going to they're not going to see their territory destroyed by electing somebody who has been found to be corrupt and is found to have lied to them and i have faith in that well i i hope you're right but uh you know what i have faith in our justice system that's what i have faith in and Mm -hmm. you know part of the reason why trump has gone as far as he's gone is because when people had the opportunity to bury him uh, you know, in terms of the, the bad deals that he'd done and the people that he'd ripped off, they just didn't take that additional step. You know, if you mm-hmm. read the history of, of his, the way he, um, he came through all, all, of, the, all of his uh, issues. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think in this case, uh, not, you know, we are not really comparing apples with apples here because, uh, you know, as bad as this is, I just, it's just nothing in comparison to what's going on over there. I do think that the justice system has to work uh, and has to uh, has to deal with all the facts, deal with all the submissions, and if uh, the, the case is made out, uh, they need to take you know swift and clear action to make this an example to the community that you know we do care about our institutions, we yeah. do care about you know the things that we need to care about to make society work. Mm. Anyway, that rant on that is over. Let's move to the next thing, mate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I'll start that with the with the phrase "What the frack," <laughs> <laughs> and we'll answer it with popular vote. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, you're referencing, of course, uh, Territory Alliances. We kind of making this uh, shock campaign pledge in a lot of ways. People were actually shocked. Um, that they said, if elected, we will ban fracking in the NT. Um, Michael Gunner, I think, was one of the first ones out the, the gate to comment on that, saying, and let's keep in mind, Michael Gunner was elected in 2016 on a campaign that he was going to ban fracking um, until the scientific report was done, and then he opened it up again. And uh, he comes out and calls Terry Two-Faced Terry, how do we know you're not going to change your mind once you get in? <laughs> I just found ironic him saying that after that's, I mean, in a lot of ways, Territory Alliance is stealing Labor's campaign from 2016 in the different way that Labor just said, sat back and said, we're not the CLP and we'll ban fracking. And Territory Alliance is now saying, we're not Labor and we'll ban fracking. Um, there seems to be this this sense that, and clearly based on this, on this um, campaign decision here to do that, uh, that the majority of Territorians are firmly against fracking. I was really surprised to see that survey. I, I, you know, given that the majority of Territorians know the, the economic circumstances, the dire economic circumstances we are in, uh, 
Uh, they've seen what Inpex has done uh, for the economy. They saw what ConocoPhillips has done for the economy. Clearly, we're a resource-driven economy. Uh, I, I, was it something 86% apparently of that poll? Yeah. Against fracking? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's territory-wide. Um, I think there might be a, yeah, a different breakdown everywhere. But And I thought that that would be more rural, remote areas. But no, they told me that even in uh, Darwin-Palmerston, um, there's a strong sentiment against it. And overwhelming majority are against it. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind here. One, we did the story about it, and it's a lock-the-gate poll. And I'm not saying anything about that. Um, in terms of trying to discredit or anything because they used a legitimate pollster. And this is where it'll get very interesting. So they used a, a polling company called Media Reach. When I was at the NT News and during the last election, I used a company called Media Reach, the same company. And the person who, is, who owns that company is a guy named James Lantry. And Lantry was... Terry Mills's former chief of staff. Yeah, um, I mean, back when Terry was in opposition a while ago, back in the early 2000s and up to 2010, um, uh, he he knows how to pull the Northern Territory. He he's probably the only pollster who's now. Well, we hired another company one other time, but but Landry's been doing it for a long time, so he does know the territory. He accurately projected what was going to happen in 2016. Like to 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 the seat to the number. Um, wow. Yeah, I I went on ABC and they were saying, oh yeah, the CLP will win, you know, eight seats. And I was like, nope, they'll be lucky to win two. My poll and showing that, so it's good. But the other thing to keep in mind here about about Lantry now is that he is, you know, he's he's like the manager, campaign manager, campaign director. He's involved with the Territory Alliance campaign, so it's interesting to see that Terry's backflip. You know, you remember in January, he came out and said that he supported fracking. Um, so now six months later, he all of a sudden wants to ban it. And then this poll's being done at the same time. So accusations being thrown around that it's, you know, populist politics, that it's maybe not in the best interest of the territory and its economy moving forward, but that it's a good vote get for, for Terry to get elected. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about that. Um, if, if you go and you look at, well, look, I'm, I know that he's doing it for votes, <laughs> right? I mean, that goes without saying. But if you go and you, and you think about it uh, and you look at it, I mean, he's saying that it's unviable, that the whole thing, you know, there's an oversupply everywhere else. I haven't had enough time this week, and I, and I will, to go through their whole 19-page uh, policy on this. But some of the stuff just that I've seen before in places that I've lived and stuff is I don't recall a jurisdiction any in the anywhere in the world getting so you know, filthy rich off of natural gas that, that, you know, they never had a problem again. That just doesn't seem to happen. Um, and, and, and that, that's market, I guess, and that's, uh, you know, the demand for it. Um, and will that go up in the next few years? Yeah, maybe. Um, you've got the Beetaloo Basin with the trillions of, of cubic meters of it. Will that not be developed now? Um, if Terry is serious about it, and there's a lot of people who don't think he is, who think that he will backflip. If he is serious, they need to come out very quickly and tell us what's going to replace it. 
Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, what, what economic driver they have that, that they're going to say is more viable than natural gas. Because right now yeah. that's about all we've got. And that will produce some jobs and that will bring, you know, I don't know about the royalties to the NTA there. I'm not sure that it brings in very much, but the jobs are there. The jobs are good. And it, and it's a way to get private investment in. So he's got to factor all of this stuff in and tell us what other options are what, uh, yeah, what he's got planned to generate the economy in exchange for ban and fracking. And I that, I, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll happen. I know they make a fair bit down at Bunnings on a Saturday morning selling the hot dogs and uh, the sausage <laughs> sizzle. Maybe they're going to do those around the territory. I mean, it, it's, a, <laughs> it's a massive industry just to can. Yeah. Um, and to do it like that, in a lot of ways, it provides that un- uncertainty, right? And and mm. politically, what happens? And I don't know. And and then private investment is private investment when we need it more than ever, and where labor's been unable to attract private investment here. Is this something where, yeah, other you know other investors for other things just say, oh, it's a little too volatile. There's no certainty there. Uh, mm. Now we're going to go somewhere else. Um, politically, it's going to be. It's very interesting. Politically, it's very interesting because he's made a stark division between territory alliance and on one side and the CLP and labor on the other. But what does that mean for preferences? Yes, exactly. Can the CLP preference territory alliance knowing that they're fundamentally opposed on the fracking issue? Yeah, yeah. Or is it, will they do something? I was talking to a CLP person the other day who said, well, you know, might see in some electorates that the CLP chooses to preference labor over yeah. territory lines because at least they see eye by eye on the fracking stuff. Well, they've, they've got form for that in that seat of Johnston. <laughs> I know, yeah. but then you risk you risk alienating the base so badly yeah. that they never forgive it. So it's 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 going to be an interesting setup. Uh, like he's just set this up for a wild ride coming up. Oh, it's a, it's definitely a wild ride. But look, you know, look, you know, we've talked about keys here in detail. Um, uh, you know, I want to make a few comments about. But Terry, I mean, Terry's a lot of uh, a lot of things, but one thing he is is, in my opinion, he's an honest politician, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now that might sound like an oxymoron, but I, I found Terry to be a man of integrity. Uh, I, I, look, you, you know, and you may have a different view, Chris. Uh, that's just my view based on on the dealings that I've had with him over the years. I haven't agreed with him on 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 a number of things. I haven't agreed with his approach to things, but. Um, you know, I, I think he, he is someone that is, is reasonably trustworthy, and I think part of that comes from the fact that he's a very religious man, uh, although he doesn't wear that on his sleeve. Um, however, having said that, he does have form in doing this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. And I don't know whether you were around, but back when Impex was being mooted, right, at the 11th hour, Terry came out and said, oh, we want to move the, the, the um, site to Bladen Point, uh, you know, a, a, a different site to what had, um, everyone had already agreed was going to be the site. You know? And it was just, I don't know why it was done, but it, was, it, it just created unnecessary um, insecurity and... And it made people, it made investors nervous. And that is exactly what this statement has done. Because as soon as I saw mm-hmm. this, I thought to mm-hmm. myself, well, hang on a second. You know, Labor was against this, uh, subject to getting this report. 
Uh, Justice Rachel Pepper, I mean, crawled up the proverbial backside of, of this industry to find out, you know, whether it was, it, it was um, worthy mm-hmm. and it came up with her report. Uh, so I had a quick look at it uh, just to see, you know, what, what the issues were. And look, I mean, they went through everything chapter and verse. And they said, look, it's, it's workable provided, uh, you know, these things are done. Mm. So how is it that Terry has managed to, in the last little while between January and now, um, come up with an alternative set of, you know, to borrow a, a, a Trumpian phrase, an alternative set of facts. I mean, I don't <laughs> yeah. understand that, you know. Yeah. I, I just yeah. don't get it. And, and what it's doing now, uh, whether or not he gets up, is it's going to make companies that want to invest in the territory nervous about mm-hmm. our politics. Yeah. You, you know, because, and that's what happened at the last election, you know, uh, Labor, oh, well, you know, they're not for fracking. We don't know whether it's going to go ahead or not. That put the entire economy in a funk. Yeah. It, it's, it's not, Chris, it's not necessarily because fracking is the silver bullet that's going to sort out our problems. No. It's about economic sentiment. People have got to feel that the economy is going in the right direction in order for them to make the, the decisions that they make about their spending that drives the economy, mm-hmm. right? And what Terry has done with this, exactly is what you said. First of all, he's come out and said no to fracking, no to the people that have already started fracking uh, who are going to have to unwind their operations at some point. I mean, how must they feel? Uh, and then, uh, look, by the way, I don't have any other plan for the economy. So here we are, $7 billion in debt and, and rising. And Territory Alliance has come out and said no to fracking. And by the way, we don't have any other plans. <laughs> and by yeah. the way, we don't know if it's $7 billion or $17 billion. <laughs> So yeah, you know, that leaves us as Territorians, as yeah. voters, Chris, in a quandary once again, between three political parties, um, one of them that has driven the economy into almost ruin, uh, the, the other one that, uh, you know, couldn't, uh, couldn't do a thing right in, the, in their last term of office. Uh, and then we've got a third brand-new party that's just thrown a grenade into the whole mix. I mean, yeah. Christ the- almighty, mate. The problem that this creates, though, Leon, and we've talked about this a few times and we've talked about it with Chris, is that if it wasn't confusing enough with two parties, it's now more confusing and there's every chance that, that the Territory will end up with a government that they don't really want, but, you know, the, the better the devil you know or the best of a bad bunch. Well, I don't think the Territory can afford that now. They're, mm-hmm. they're in enough of a hole as it is. They need a shining light. I mean, one of yeah. the reasons we managed to bring Inpex to Darwin, and I know people, you know, uh, uh, you know, have, have, have some not very nice things to say about what Inpex did to our economy. I don't share those views personally. I think it was a good thing for the Territory. It was just that we, you know, we had to manage our peaks and troughs a little bit better. But we stole that Inpex project from Western mm-hmm. Australia because mm-hmm. Claire Martin jumped on a plane and went to Tokyo and did the deal, you know? That is what the Territory is all about, you know? And that's what the CLP legacy used to be about, getting deals done, you know, bringing things to the Territory, punching above our weight. 
And since that time, what has happened is, you know, we have found every opportunity to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny that that, that that deal with Impex included uh, no royalties whatsoever for the Northern Territory. Well, you but, know, yeah, we can pick but, the deal apart, yeah. uh, you know, but at the end of the day, while that deal was on foot, Chris, you know, the yeah. economy was booming. It yeah. was booming. Oh, yeah. And, and Absolutely. it was booming under ConocoPhillips back in 2005, 6, 7. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so these yeah. things do make a difference to the Territory, whether or not we get exactly what we should get. I mean, that's a matter for, you know, our politicians to negotiate a little bit better. Yeah. But, you know, we've got to get the economy moving through these projects yeah. because and they bring confidence. Yeah, and I, but I don't think that, 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 that the onshore gas is up at that level of being something like that. Like, even if they start doing this and we give it a free-for-all, it's not, going to, it's not going to run the economy or move the economy along as much as that impacts cap did or the impacts project did. Um, so there needs to be something else. Even if there, even if you don't ban fragment, you keep it going. That's not going to save us. That, that that's not going to save the Northern Territory. It just isn't. Sort of saying that, like, no jurisdiction that I know of has gotten super rich off of that. So there needs to be better ideas. There needs to be different ideas. And yeah, to date, I've not. We've not seen that. Still, I think we were talking about that last week. We haven't seen any new fresh ideas on anything yet. We still mm-hmm. don't, except for this. Um, that can be easily written off as populist politics. So unless Terry Mills um, gets out there very quickly and starts saying what he's going to do for the economy, he's just going to deal with a lot of pissed off people um, who think that he's just playing politics here with the economy. And and like you said, Pete, too, it'll go back to what, what do people feel safe with? And maybe it will be labor. I mean, that, that'll be up, but maybe this drives people to labor too. Maybe it'd be because, you know, they're not sure what a... a a territory alliance CLP coalition would look like government if that Correct. were the case or where, where's it going to go with independence too, right? Like uh, you just look at the numbers. Yeah. The, the, it's all going to be preferences. Yeah. The numbers to me are, are all pointing in one direction because we've asked point blank, will the CLP and territory alliance get into bed together? They've mm-hmm. never, they've never, neither sides ever agreed to it. So no, they're not even holding hands yet. No, that's it. Yeah, that's They're not it. getting in bed any And the CLP's numbers are so low that, you know, to, <laughs> to, to snatch that victory is near impossible. Territory yeah. Alliance has probably got a better chance, but what, what you've both just said and the facts are that people don't, wouldn't know what they're voting for under that regime. So what's mm. the alternative to what you've currently got? Well, we got we got two months to find out. I mean, this is about the but time. That's, that's taking time. the piss, Chris. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said I mean, that to I yeah. said that to uh, Marie Claire Boothby when she came on, whenever that was, and she said, "Oh no, we don't give policies out till six weeks before the election." <laughs> you know what? Piss <laughs> off. Give the policies yeah, out yeah. as soon as you know what they are, because what you yeah. think people are gonna uh, you think the territory is gonna get to where it's got to now, and people are just gonna suddenly go, "Oh well." You know, there's eight weeks to go, no problems. We'll decide the whole future of the Territory based on what they drip feed out over the next four weeks. No way. Oh, yeah. That's oh, no. insulting. And I, yeah, and I don't think that a campaign runs like that. Like, I've, I've never done that. That's the agenda that the parties want to do. There's yeah. going to be way, way better stuff that, that's going to come out and that's going to be the, those serious discussions that we need to start having, um, mm. including, like, another one. Look, we're talking about the economy here. We've got a story coming out in the morning 
um, back into the China stuff, right? And the Belt and Road and Gunner's involvement over there. Mm. Um, why aren't we talking about this and how we're going to deal with China, how we're going to, you know, Gunner seems to think, I would take it from, you know, Daniel Andrews's lines that, you know, China's the one with the money. Can China help, help, help the economy here in the territory and what kind of deals will be done there in that case. And, and will Bell and Road be on the table? Um, because we're so economically depressed and, and they seem to have, you know, this, well, this global plan to stimulate everything for infrastructure and will that create jobs here? I mean, that's something we, we haven't even talked about that yet. Um, mm. In terms of like with all the political parties now it came up in parliament today, but that was more about the story that we ran about, you know, Gunner's links and what he was signing over there, right? So he's now said he's now said that it was a, a sister cities arrangement. <laughs> like this is this is weird. Like this was yeah. never said before. Even the people we've talked to, everybody didn't know what it was. Some people said it may be an education thing. Now he's saying it's a sister city deal that he signed over there uh, without the mayor being there too. Like the mayor was on the trip, but not with the signing. So it's and really the, bizarre. The obvious follow-up question would be then, why was that never answered the first time? Exactly. Why was it never made public? Typically, you go over there, you sign a deal like that, you come back and you tell territorians what you did over Yeah. And what you signed and how it's good for them. Never said it. It was really weird in question time today. He got very aggressive. Um, there's going to be another story about that. And um, But these are all things like this is all, you know, in the lead up, we got to start talking about these issues and and, and what, what does the future of the territory look like? And how are we going to fix the economy? And mm. we, we haven't seemed to get to that, to those solutions yet. So you know, when, when does it happen? I yeah. don't know. Well, Pete, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask uh, Chris? Not this week. I'm going to say that. <laughs> I, I don't just, feel it's appropriate. What I do want to do is um, just make sure that you're acutely aware that my laughter earlier was about the fact that I just find it mind-boggling that people can behave like this in 2020 and not realise, A, they're going to get found out, and B, that it's not harking back to an era that has been gone for so many years. It's not funny. It's laughable, hence my laughter. Yeah, and that's what we as journalists kind of, you know, we have to develop a good sense of humor and be able to laugh at things because sometimes, um, yeah, we got to deal with stuff and write about things like that. And journalists mm -hmm. have pretty, yeah, weird senses of humor. But yeah, the seriousness, I think, of everything came through and that's, um, it's just so ridiculous. Just so, it's got to be fixed. And when is it going to be fixed? Yeah. Keep asking that and we never get an answer. Yeah. Oh, well, let's, let's keep batting on and, and see where we get to. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks, Leon. Thanks, Vic. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper on Weekends with Walshy. We'll catch him again next week on the Territory Story Podcast. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.